Today on The Take, we're talking about something a bit different for us. Superheroes. A hero. Not the hero we deserved, but the hero we needed. More specifically, Batman. There have been a few different versions of him. The original Batman was created during the Great Depression. He was sober and serious and a little less high-tech. And then... The Batman of the 1960s. He was goofy and campy. He said... No one could break into it. Holy stuffy! Exactly, Robin. That doesn't mean that someone couldn't break Break out. Now the Batman we see on the big screen is dark and broody and gritty, and his voice seems to be getting lower and lower with every version. The mask's not for you. It's to protect the people you care about. We're talking about this now because there's a new Batman coming out next year, played by Robert Pattinson. And this version is being slowly revealed to us through trailers at a time when so many people all around the world are talking about criminal justice reform and police brutality. So naturally, the question coming up is, is Batman the hero we need? I'm Kevin Hurton, filling in for Malika Bilal, and this is a quick take. I grew up watching and even kind of idolizing Batman. I mean, who didn't? He was relatable, no fancy superpowers, just a guy with a lot of tools and a lot of work ethic. But as I got older, Batman changed and so did I. Now I'm an investigative journalist, and so it's inevitable that I now watch Batman movies with an investigative eye, which tends to ruin everything, by the way, not just Batman. Now I focus less on the wonderful toys and more on the corrupt police and the questionable politicians and constitutional violations. And I wanted to know how he got here. So I talked to Casey Michelle. You may remember him from Wednesday's episode about NATO. Casey is an expert on post-Soviet spaces, but also on Batman. In fact, he taught a college course on it at Rice University. I've seen the syllabus. It's unbelievable. I asked him to start at the beginning. Batman began back in the late 1940s. 30. So if you go back to that time, the things that were really popular for kids, for young boys, young teenagers, were things like pulp fiction. So these kind of paperback, pulp paper adventure stories, little mini novellas. There was a lot of action. There was a lot of drama, always ending up with the hero on top. Batman himself in 1939 was introduced as his own character in a city called Gotham City, which was very clearly modeled on New York City, obviously Gotham being one of New York's nicknames. This Batman was scary. Frankly, this is one of the themes that has remained for 80 years. There was a very clearly unsettling element to Batman at the very first creation of Batman. He's a guy who comes out at night. He's a guy that's stringing up criminals. They have no idea what he's doing or where he's coming from. Where are you? Here. He's a guy who wears the black mask, the black cape, the black tights. He is in the shadow. I think that this summer with the protests and the the new talk about police violence and defunding the police, I think some have come to reevaluate Batman and his role and especially his relationship to the police, which has always been complicated, hasn't it? Yes, it, it really has. Bruce Wayne as Batman, he's never been a formal member of Gotham PD. 
He is a vigilante out of his own motivations for his own ends. Batman is out there breaking law after yeah. law, limb after limb, bad guy's teeth after bad guys, et cetera, et cetera. Now, he does have a relationship, though, with Gotham PD, especially with uh, Lieutenant and then Commissioner James Gordon. He reports to the commissioner, doesn't he? Well, no, he does not technically report to the commissioner. The commissioner, if anything, actually is the one providing cover for Batman. He prioritizes Gotham PD resources elsewhere, knowing full well that Batman is a tool in the broader arsenal of fighting organized crime, of fighting terrorism in the city, of fighting transnational criminal elements, of fighting gun smugglers and cartel suppliers. One of the things that I think about put on my investigative reporter hat. And I, I figure, who paid for the bat signal? Because if taxpayer money paid for that bat signal to be made, I think you could argue in court, in a civil suit, that Batman is an extension of the police force. And therefore, one of these supervillains, maybe you, you stop hiring all these henchmen and you hire a team of super lawyers to sue the city. Look, I'm always uh, happy to provide more resources for uh, obviously investigative journalists as well as lawyers working <laughs> on the public's behalf. And I think this is gets back to the role that Gordon plays as the commissioner. He's able to deflect these questions as it pertains to the things like the bad single. I think there's this memorable scene in, uh, I guess it was The Dark Knight in uh, the 2008 film from, from Nolan, where another police officer asks, asks Gordon, hey, what's the deal with the bat signal? And Gordon says, I don't know what you're talking about. If you have an issue with maintenance, you know, take it up with them. Must be a faulty light somewhere. And it's just kind of dropped after that. But yeah, I do think that there are elements of that relationship that a successful investigative journalist could certainly uncover. And, uh, you know, frankly, we don't see a lot of them in Gotham City. Casey, we could write it. We could write it now. I, I know what the pitch is. We go right into the Hollywood meeting and we say it's Spotlight meets Batman. And... <laughs> Two Woodward and Bernstein figures like ourselves uncover the scandal behind the Batman. Absolutely. Thank heaven. If you and I went into a Hollywood meeting with this idea, you know, I don't think they'd kick us out immediately. We're going to be getting a lot of phone calls after this podcast. I think. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll keep my phone on, you know, I'll keep my development deals. My, yeah. <laughs> my regular phone and my bat phone will both be on. So where would Bruce Wayne come down on the, the issue of defunding the police? Because I'm of two minds. I think one, he's somebody who believes in law enforcement, but I also think he's well aware of the limitations of law enforcement because he's he's basically been outsourced by the police to fight crime. Bruce Wayne would never say we need to defund them completely, get rid of the Gotham PD in and of itself. What he would say is that we need reform top to bottom. And I'd like to think he'd push for better public policy reform as well, everything from tax policy to education to health. But that's another story that maybe we want to take to the producers <laughs> in Hollywood. Now, as long as we're tossing out ideas for those producers in Hollywood, there's one more thing I want to get on the record. Because as we were producing this podcast, this Twitter thread about Batman and policing went viral. It was by a guy named Sean Kelly. I think Batman's a good person. <laughs> I had a Batman backpack and I was in kindergarten in 1988. And I've seen all of Batman's movies. And so when I look at the situations that are happening now, the things that are going on in the streets, I want to believe that Batman would be on the side of those people protesting for rights and the right to live. Sean is a freelance writer who lives in the Midwestern city of St. Louis, Missouri. That's near Ferguson, 
which you may remember, is where the Black Lives Matter movement started to gain international attention in 2014. So that's where Sean's mind went when he saw the new Batman trailer with Robert Pattinson. The high point of the trailer in a lot of ways was a moment when Pattinson just beats the ever-loving tar out of somebody. I'm vengeance. And I was thinking about how the darker and grittier an interpretation of Batman gets, the more his superpower becomes the ability to avoid honoring people's constitutional rights. Writers kind of fall back on the things that Batman can do that cops can't. And I think that when you kind of emphasize Batman's capacity for brutality over his capacity for deduction, what you end up getting is justification for police brutality because the implication, of course, is that police officers could do the same things too if we would just let them, if we would untie their hands, if we would unleash them on the unsuspecting citizens of uh, Gotham City or Ferguson or wherever. Sean says that in some versions of Batman, he does go after corrupt police. But normally he goes after police officers who are accepting bribes or working for criminal gangs, not ones who are working within the system and killing unarmed people or looking the other way while their colleagues do. And so Sean has an idea for a different Batman, one that matches the current moment. My thinking was, instead of making Bruce Wayne an orphan because his parents were killed by a mugger, was to have them killed by a police officer. And what I imagined was this moment where young Bruce Wayne goes back to the police department and is able to identify that cop is the one who killed my parents and just having all of the cops discount it. You know, oh, you're confused. That's Officer Joe Chill. He was one of the first officers on the scene. That's probably what you're recognizing him from. I think having that grief come at the hands of the authority that's supposed to protect him would help put an exclamation point on Batman's early journey about his realization as to who the, you know, the target should be. And I think it would be an interesting reversal to have a Batman who, when the cops show up with their riot shields and their rubber bullets and their tear gas to take out a crowd of Black Lives Matter protesters, if we had a Batman who projected his own bat signal into the sky to intimidate them, to let them know that he was there and that he was on the side of the protesters and have him start taking out non-lethally, of course, riot cops one by one to allow protesters to get to safety or to get to medics or anything like that. Because Batman is a good guy. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Priyanka Tilvey and me, Kevin Hurton, with Dina Kisba, Amy Walters, Alexandra Locke, Nagin Oliayi, Abigail Oni-Wohacha, Nay Alvarez, and Malika Bilal. Natalia Aldana is the engagement producer. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Stacey Samuel is The Take's executive producer. And Graylin Bashir is Al Jazeera's head of audio. Malika will be back next week. <laughs>